So, dining room tables. It's an interesting journey. We've never preached about dining room tables before. And yet what we're discovering more and more is how central dining room tables are to the life of Jesus and to his ministry. Dining room tables are not about furniture and food. They're actually ministry moments if we can see them that way. And so this journey is called, notice it's called a peck of salt and not a speck. I've been hearing a couple of people talking about a speck of salt. No, we're not trying to reduce salt. We actually, the prophetic word comes from this uh, prophetic little uh, jar, vase of salt here. A speck, I mean, now I'm talking about a speck. A peck of salt is actually a, a measure of volume. It's actually 10 kilograms of salt, which would translate into about a thousand meals with a friend. And God is speaking to us, Outlook Church, saying, Outlook Church, I want you to eat a peck of salt. In other words, I believe God is speaking to us, church, about not just being a friendly church, but being a church of friends. A church that eats meals together. A church that fellowships together. A church that's not just friendly on a Sunday, but then has Sunday lunch together. Doesn't just eat our meals together as a family, but we're in the habit of always inviting members of our community around our dining room tables because for Jesus, the center of his ministry, I don't think was the temple. It seems to be more about the dining room table. It was around the dining room table that friendships were built. Disciples were made. Evangelism happened. And community was strengthened. And I think God is wanting to restore this to us as a church. Prophetic word, extending your dining room tables. Extending your table from food to friendship. Extending your table from eating around the TV to eating together as families. Extending your dining room table from only eating as a family to learning to invite others to join you around your table. Extending your dining room table from just eating with people like you, other believers, to seeing your table as a table of evangelism. We want our dining room tables to represent the heart of Jesus. The other thing we want is photos of your dining room table. Here are a few dining room tables that we have seen so far. There we go, a couple of dining room tables, and we would like a photo of your dining room table, please, while you're eating at it. So whether it's you and your family, or if you've got a few friends, somewhere along the line, we would love you to WhatsApp to our church WhatsApp number, send your dining room table, and we want to start filling our screen with more and more images of people responding to God's word and celebrating dining room tables together. Here's a couple of things to ponder. Someone once said this, if you are more fortunate than others... It's better to build a longer table than a taller fence. Isn't that interesting? We who live in a country of taller and taller fences, actually, it's better to build longer dining room tables. It'll solve more problems. Someone said this, America's drug problem, and I dare say everywhere in the world, is not going to be solved in courtrooms or legislative hearing rooms by judges and politicians. It'll be solved in living rooms and dining rooms and across kitchen tables by parents and families. That's where family problems, that's where community problems are solved. Not eating while you watch TV, sitting together around tables and talking. A dining room table with children's eager, hungry faces around it ceases to be a mere dining room table and becomes an altar. Isn't that beautiful? Let's cherish those times. People buy very badly made furniture and fabric. 
Instead, by a beautiful dining table, well-made upholstery, it's almost like dressing for success. Isn't that beautiful? So whether you've got a fancy table or whether you've got just any old table, we can turn our dining room tables to not just a piece of furniture, but a ministry platform. And that's what we're trusting God for. Now, as I've been speaking to people, I've come to realize that many people don't even have a dining room table at all. I've asked questions. Does a dining room table have to be inside or can it be outside? It can be anywhere. The point is not the furniture. The point is sitting together to be able to share meals together. So we're looking at meals with Jesus. Now, as I said last week, I love the gospel of Luke because Luke, even though he was a doctor which I can't really relate to. He was a food lover, which I can relate to. And the other gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, and John, wrote about three or four of Jesus' meals. Luke wrote about 10 of his meals. And the whole gospel of Luke kind of swings from one meal to another. In fact, if you are wondering where you should be reading out the Bible right now, I would suggest, why not go to the book of Luke and read through the book of Luke, looking for those 10 moments when Jesus was sitting around a table and see what you can learn out of your devotions. And so we looked last week at a table of evangelism. Today, I want to talk about a table of reconciliation. I want us to realize one of the wonders of Jesus was how he was willing and able and delighted in bringing around a table people who would never normally sit together around a table without him. Our tables can become tables of reconciliation. My heart as we, uh, and our heart as a team, as we preach our way through this journey, I mean, up to now, if you like me, you've just seen a dining room table as a piece of furniture. But let me give you an example. Uh, one of those reframe moments. Maybe we study what happens when we reframe, when we see something it hasn't changed, but we see it completely different when our perspective changes. Something happens, as an example, in a believer's life when they realize that their money is not just something physical, but it's spiritual as well. Remember, Jesus said you can't serve God and money. In other words, your money is something that wants your worship. When we realize that if you give money, you're not losing money, it becomes seed. And seed, when it's planted, is not lost. In fact, seed must be planted if you want it to multiply. So here's the example. When you realize that money has a spiritual component, it will change the way you handle your money. Now, in exactly the same way, I want us to realize that our dining room tables are not just hunks of wood. They actually have a spiritual component which we can use as something to worship God with. So it doesn't matter how beautiful or how cheap or what, we can use our dining room tables to worship the Lord. Jesus was a master at this. And uh, have a look at some examples in Acts 2 verse 46, how the early church picked up Jesus' heart. It said, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. I can't wait for the culture of normal Christianity to not just to be to go to church on a Sunday, but while you're gathering on Sunday, be asking the Holy Spirit, who should we be inviting for lunch today? So that you don't go back from the church service alone. You actually go back knowing that some folk are going to be joining you around a table just to fellowship, to encourage, and to strengthen one another. In Acts 20 verse 20, you know, said Paul, that I've not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house 
to house. It seems in the New Testament that there's more focus on a dining room table than a church building. Yet what's happened over our church history is the building has become the focus, the focal point. I believe God is wanting to restore dining room tables to be a much greater focal point in the life of New Testament believers. So let's get to today's table. Luke chapter 7, verses 36 to 50. And it says, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went. I love that. Because if Jesus had any enemies, it would have been the Pharisees. The Pharisees were always out to trap Jesus. The Pharisees were the ones who eventually crucified and convicted Jesus. The Pharisees were the ones who opposed him every step of the way. Yet when a Pharisee invited Jesus for lunch, he said yes. He went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Love that word. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life, most would assume she was a prostitute, learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, and so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair. Sometimes we miss the little nuances because we come from a different culture. But for her to wipe his feet with her hair would mean that her hair has been let down. For a woman to let down her hair in the presence of a man would be scandalous. And yet Jesus allowed her in his presence, she was using her hair to wipe his feet, kissed them and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, who was the Pharisee speaking to? He said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. Jesus answered him. (laughs) Isn't that interesting? (laughs) Be careful what you think. (laughs) Don't think that your thoughts are private from the Lord. Because he's saying this to himself. In other words, the Pharisee's just thinking in his head, "Mm, what kind of guy is this? And Jesus answered him. (laughs) Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said, because he doesn't know that Jesus knows what he's thinking. Verse number 41, two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them would love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. Her sins weren't forgiven because of her demonstration of love. Her demonstration of love was because she knew her sins were forgiven. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sin? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. It's a beautiful, beautiful story. And I want to focus on this aspect of reconciliation. You see, Jesus came into the world as the great reconciler. Now, the greatest tool of reconciliation in the history of the world is obviously the cross of Jesus Christ. 
On the cross, Jesus was reconciling not just man to God, but man to man. He restored our earthly relationships because when two people both bow the knee to Jesus, they'll come into unity. And he restored our relationship to the Father by dealing with the barrier of sin, taking that sin upon himself so that we could receive mercy, so that we could have access to the Father. The curtain was torn in two. That curtain that separated man from God in the temple was ripped in two as Jesus died on the cross because now we had access to our Father in heaven. In Ephesians 2, 14 to 18, it says, For he himself, Jesus, is our peace. That is such an important thing for us as believers to understand. Jesus doesn't just give us peace. He is our peace. Because many times we're wondering for peaceful circumstances to, around, to, to surround us. Lord, when are you going to give me peace? No, no. Jesus is our peace. What that means is even in the midst of unpeaceful circumstances, you can still have peace because your peace is not circumstances. Your peace is Jesus. And in fellowship with Jesus, we have peace. For he himself is our peace, (laughs) excuse me, who has made the two groups one, Jews and Gentiles, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. The Gentiles would have been far from God. The Jews would have been near. He preached the same message to both. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. It's beautiful. Jesus is our peace. Now. I want us to notice something important. Remember, we've studied many times how when we have a revelation of God, we naturally will begin to reflect it. We love because he first loved us. We can forgive others because he first forgave us. Now, what happens when we have a revelation of Jesus the reconciler? It says in 2 Corinthians 5, 18 to 20, all of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Church, I want us to catch the heart of this today. Sadly, Christians, as much as they enjoy being reconciled to God, many times it doesn't translate into being great reconcilers to others. Sadly, the church We should be the best reconciler. There should be no such thing as grudges, offenses, unforgivenesses, bitternesses, church splits, people leaving because they miffed with someone. It shouldn't happen when we have a revelation of our God who reconciles. And we can try and spiritualize it. We can try and God has moved me here. or No, 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 no. Or we can grow up and recognize God has given us a ministry of reconciliation. And as much as it cost, when we studied a few weeks ago, as much as it cost the Father to forgive us, when we understand He has reconciled, Jesus took it upon Himself to reconcile us to the Father. We learn to take it upon ourselves to be reconciled. And not just to be reconciled to those where we have broken relationships, but to be reconcilers between people where we know there's a broken relationship. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. 
And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. I love that. An ambassador lives in a foreign nation and represents the nation they come from. The Bible tells us this world is not our primary citizenship. If you're a born-again believer, your primary citizenship is in heaven. Peter said we are strangers and aliens here. We should struggle to fit in the world at times because this is not our primary citizenship. But now, as ambassadors of heaven, Paul is saying, we therefore Christ ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So why Jesus, remember that famous saying, Matthew 5 and verse 9, blessed are the peace makers, for they will be called children of God. I love that. It's a, it's a great blessing when people say they, they see your sons or they see your children, oh, they remind me of their father. It should be like that. Adam, are you listening? I'm teasing. But here's the thing. People should be seeing in us more and more of our heavenly father. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called, hey, you're just like your father. The way the father reconciled the world to himself, the way you're able to bring people together, the way you're able to resolve conflict, you look so much like your father. Notice that it says, blessed are the peacemakers and not peacekeepers. Peacekeepers keep warring parties apart. Peacemakers step into the middle and bring warring parties together to bring reconciliation. We reflect our sonship of God when we reconcile with people, when we resolve conflict, when we break down walls of hostility, when we make peace, when we bring people who are far apart near. So now here's the thing. The cross is the ultimate tool of reconciliation. But I believe Jesus' day-to-day tool was the dining room table. And I think Jesus used a dining room table incredibly to bring people together. Can you imagine what it was like if you were Peter and Jesus had said, come, follow me. I want you to be my disciples. Like, yeah, new challenge. Amen. Look at these miracles. I'm number two. I'm like two I see. This is cool. And then Jesus says, sees Matthew, the tax collector. And Jesus says, Matthew, come and follow me. And Peter's heart drops. No, uh-uh. no, 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 no. Because, you know, I mean, you get citizens and then you get sinners. And then there's a category lower than sinners. Tax collectors. They are the bottom feeders, the scum of the earth. The tax collectors were the Jewish people who actually worked for the Romans who'd conquered them to make money out of their own people to give it to the Romans. Everyone hated tax collectors. Jesus chose one. It gets worse. Matthew, you're going to sit around the table with us every single night. Yo, can imagine that first meal with Matthew, the tax collectors, all the other disciples, still, probably with a scowl on their face. And yet over the days, over the weeks, over the months, over the years, I bet you they came to love Matthew as a brother as well. See, Jesus brought those who were cast out into his inner circle. It was around the dining room table that reconciliation took place. And so here we have this amazing story where where Simon the Pharisee and this woman, the prostitute, were together around the same table with Jesus in the middle. That's the key. And, And he would have despised her because he was so righteous and she was a dirty, rotten sinner. She would have despised him because he was so judgmental and critical. Jesus loved them both and brought them around the same table. 
And so I want to talk just before we run out of time this morning very quickly. Three things that I've been challenged with out of this passage. Three things. We know about uh, table manners. Now we've got to learn some table skills. We've got to learn how do we better host banquets? How do we better learn to have people around our table? First thing is learning to be comfortable around the table with all kinds of people. It's one thing to have your mates over and you have a bra and you have your chops and whatever. That's comfortable. Are you comfortable with people who are very, very different from you? Because part of our ministry is going to be exactly that. It reminded me of a, of a story. Mom and Dad, I hope you remember this story if you're watching. They, they're very good at watching online service. Many years ago, this goes back about, oof, we just got married, hadn't planted the church. So maybe 22, 23 years ago, Kate and I were in Durban. We were staying with my parents who lived in Kloof at the time. Now, while we were in Midrand, we'd met this young black girl. Her name was Winnie. Actually, Kate was amazing. Saw her walking on the streets in our neighborhood, found out she was a young black girl, but was a Muslim who'd now, and so she was homeless at the time. She'd been kicked out. Kate invited her into our home, and she gave her life to Jesus. And uh, actually, the church in Midrand, we, we started this abandoned AIDS babies project, and Winnie then became the mother to look after these abandoned AIDS babies. It's a beautiful story because she went on to meet Nelson Mandela. He paid for her studies. She got a degree. And it was just a beautiful example of God's restoration. And so this friendship was built. And, and when he was in town as well, so he said to my parents, is it all right if we invite a friend over for dinner? Now, you have to give grace for the story. You have to remember, this is not long after apartheid era. This may have been the first time that my parents had a black person sitting around the dining room table. But they didn't know it yet because we just said a friend is coming. So the friend rocks up when he knocks on the door and my parents graciously, wow, okay, welcome to dinner. So now my parents being the loving type began, Winnie, tell us a little bit about yourself. And so she did. She said, well, I'm not married, but, but I have five children and all of my children have different fathers and all of my kids are HIV positive. All of that is true. She'd adopted him. But as she was making these statements, I could see my parents starting to react a little bit more like every prejudice inside of you is coming out into the open. My point is this. They actually recovered really well. But here's the point. The wonder of being a child of God is that we have the same father, but brothers and sisters right around the world, different color, different background. And, and the beauty is... Part of our maturity in Christ is to learn to be comfortable around a table with people who are very different from us. Remember, we had to reflect the goodness and love of our God. And Jesus showed us in one meal how he could be having a Pharisee, a potential enemy, and a sinful woman, and yet around the same table could bring peace. Here's something else that we can learn from it. is learning to set an example of being relaxed at the table. It's one thing to have a formal dinner, but formal is not always that much fun. Good manners, I believe, are important, but you can have good man manners and a whole lot of laughter as well. In fact, as I reflected it, I realized all of my favorite kinds of food have to be interactive. I'm a eat with your hands kind of person, which is why I love Pakistan and love going to India where you're kind of diving in with your hands and bread and dipping and all of these things. And, and I would encourage you, if you of the more formal persuasion, there's something beautiful about meals that are interactive. It says Jesus reclined at the table. 
Now their tables would have been not like this. They would have been lowered to the ground. You don't sit on a chair. You would have sat on the floor and sometimes laying on the floor with your feet away from the table. But it's a beautiful picture of being relaxed around a table. And when you have people around your table, it's one thing having a plate of food served to you. It's better when, when there's stretching and passing and getting involved and sometimes hands. And, and good manners are important, but a relaxed environment where you can have fun and interact is so crucial. All my favorite foods, bunny chow, ribs, pizza, shisa and yama, think about it. All of those require... In fact, what's beautiful is I've got some photos of... Uh, of what it's like in Pakistan when we were ministering there, most of our meals, the pastors would come together and after the, the service we'd have a meal in someone's home. And in, in Pakistan, the homes we were in were very poor. They didn't usually have a dining room and they definitely didn't have a dining room table, but they had a double bed. And so many times our meals were about five or six of us sitting cross-legged on a double bed with the food right in the middle, eating at our dining room table together. Beautiful, beautiful fellowship. Good manners are important, formal is not. Let's learn to be at a relaxed, enjoyable environment. Last thing is to demonstrate a true spirit of hospitality. Notice what Jesus said to Simon. He turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. The water would have been because they walked dusty roads, they had open sandals. It was common for a slave to come and wash the feet to make your guest comfortable. That's the key, making our guests comfortable. Guests sit in the lounge, family sits in the kitchen, let's be honest. And uh, first time someone visits you, maybe you gather in the lounge, but Kate's got an amazing gift of hospitality, and you can see it at how quickly she gets people into the kitchen to help. But actually, most people would rather be helping in some way than just being waited upon. And so, learn to get your guests relaxed. Relaxed. You didn't greet me with a kiss. Now, you don't necessarily have to kiss people, unless you live in South America, where that's what you do. It's like you kiss everyone on the cheek. In fact, I have to remember when I come back to South Africa to stop kissing everybody on the cheek. Our biggest hurdle with this... and. And a kiss really was a, an expression of welcome. It is so good to have you in our home. Our biggest obstacle at the moment is Jessie, the dog that I told you about the other day. Being an abandoned dog, she hates strangers but absolutely loves people that she knows. And so at the moment, we, we're trying to be welcome to our house while we've got a dog that's snarling and going crazy. We're trying to teach her about hospitality, but it is taking time. But maybe you like Jessie, the dog. Maybe you're not that comfortable with strangers. Maybe you're quite reserved. Maybe you're quite shy. Let's find grace, Lord. Help me to be someone who can show a welcoming, inviting spirit. And then lastly, oil was a show of respect. If you had a guest come to your home and you really wanted to honor them, you'd anoint their head with oil. I went to a church once and they did that to me. They anointed me as an apostle. Not a few drips. Two liters. It was hectic. True story in Panama of all places. But how do you show respect to a guest? Sometimes it's offering drinks. Sometimes it's giving them the best seats. Sometimes it's waiting for everyone to sit down before you start the meal. 
Sometimes it's offering your guests to take before you do. But here's the beautiful thing. Different cultures, respect looks different. And I love different cultures. And for example, we have our elders' dinner every month. And our elders' dinner, we always say ladies first and, and the ladies jump up to and, and Zandile Mdluli. She's always one of the first up there serving a beautiful plate and she takes it to her husband. I'm like, rest of the wives <laughs> haven't got it right yet, but <clears throat> point is, in different cultures, respect looks different. In a white culture, ladies first. In a black culture, men first. But here's the thing. You don't have to be an expert in culture. You have to be an expert in respect. You see, when you have a heart of respect and a heart of love, there's a lot of grace for cultural blunders. And I know because I go to a lot of different cultures and make all of the cultural blunders. But I've realized when you've got a heart of respect and you've got a heart of love, people will graciously overlook some of us. We shouldn't let fear of cultural differences prevent us from enjoying incredible fellowship with people who are different. I'm over time. Let's land. Normal Christianity, I'm believing, is changing. And I think the pandemic has pushed the reset button on so many things. Yes, to be a normal Christian, we love Jesus, we read our Bibles, we pray, we go to church, we give our offerings. But I believe God is adding to what it means to be a normal Christian. Adding the fact that we should be making a disciple every year. That's normal. Adding the fact that our dining room tables are not just a piece of furniture in our home, but they are a ministry expression. And I want to ask you, church, will you take hold of this revelation? Let's adjust our lifestyle. Let's dedicate our dining room tables. We have a peck of salt to eat together. Have you had your first meal? Why don't you stand with me, please? Heavenly Father, we, we thank you so much for this incredible privilege of living in the New Testament where the elaborate temple building has now become a temple of us, your people. And Jesus, where you've taken the elaborateness of banquets and you turned it into a meal of bread and, and wine around a table. And Father, I pray for all of us as a church that you would help us to catch your heart of ministry around dining room tables. Lord, we want to see the, the spirituality. We want to see the ministry moment for our families, for our community, as a tool of reconciliation, as a tool of evangelism. Father, we want to dedicate our dining room tables to you. Give us courage, Lord. At the same time, Father, we recognize Jesus, you as the great reconciler. Thank you that we reconciled with you through the cross. And Father, we want to take upon ourselves according to your word and say yes to being the ambassadors of this ministry of reconciliation. And just while our eyes are closed, is there someone that you should be inviting to sit around your dining room table? Maybe they're an enemy. Maybe there's a broken relationship. Maybe it's friends you have and you know they have a broken relationship between each other. I want to ask you today whether you were prepared to dedicate your dining room table to become a table 
of reconciliation. And lastly, maybe you're here today and you've never accepted the reconciliation offer that Jesus has given us. His death on the cross reconciles us to the Father. But you have to say, yes, Lord. Jesus said, I stand at the door and I knock. If you prepare to open your heart to me, I will come and eat with you and you with me. The invitation of salvation is an invitation to a seat at the table, to fellowship with Jesus in fellowship with the Father. And if you're here today and have never received Christ as Lord, you've never opened the door of your heart to accepting Jesus Christ, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. So we would love to pray for you. We'd love to pray with you. If you, your body needs uh, healing in any way, I think we had a, a word of knowledge as well. We're going to pray for some folk now. Why don't you come and share it? Good morning, everyone. Um, last night, the Lord, the Lord revealed to me there's someone here that struggles or has sleep apnea. So if that's you, please come up so that we can pray for you. Wow, that's very specific. So if that's you, God is wanting to minister to that. Any other sicknesses? We're going to be praying for folk right now. So Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your amazing grace. We thank you, Lord God, that you love us so much. Thank you that your gracious hand is upon us. And thank you that you're demonstrating your mighty hand through us. To you, Lord God, be all the glory and honor and praise forever and ever. And all God's people say, amen. Amen. May the Lord bless you.